The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. Welcome to Taking You to School with Dr. Tom Pritchard. I am your co-host, J.P. John Paz. And of course, with me is the star of the show, the former eight-time Smoky Mountain Wrestling Tag Team Champion, former WWE World Tag Team Champion, one of the greatest trainers ever in the history of the business, responsible for Kurt Angle, The Rock, and so many others, the Doctor of Desire himself. Dr. Tom Frazier. Dr. Tom, how are you doing today, sir? John, doing great today here from the remote location, JPWA Live and in Living Color. That is an awesome backdrop. That just looks so cool like behind you. It almost looks fake, but it, obviously it's no, real. It yeah, is. It's real. You, see, you see all that stuff. You can see all the yep. pictures and stuff. And then we got our cameras over there. Nice. Let me show you the pictures on this side, too. We got it. We got it. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Good stuff. Other stuff. Anyway. All right. So, yeah, we got all. All the going on, but I didn't want uh, to get caught up. We're doing this on a different night, obviously. And uh, yes, yes, it's a nice, nice, beautiful night here in Knoxville, Tennessee. So, what's going on as far as JPWA? JPWA just got done with promos. We have uh, twelve in this class. Are doing great. Uh, seventh week, everybody's right on target. Uh, and next week is going to be one of those. One of those weeks here in Knoxville where everything's going to be hot as hell. I'm going to get that nice uh, circle of sweat that, that's as slick as an ice rink when you uh, meet in the middle of the ring. So there's going to be a lot of uh, yelling to be careful when they're coming in. But everybody's uh, progressing nicely, and that's always good to see. You don't want any torn ACLs like The Miz just had, unfortunately. No, and we have zombie repellent outside too. <laughs> so we're, we're we're covered on all all grounds. Isn't that so funny? The guy's never had a major injury. That was like his kind of claim to fame. He never hurt anybody. Never had any major injuries. He's just kind of breezing along. Uh, you know, two time world champion. He's doing all this great stuff. He's married to Maurice for God's sakes. I mean, he's he's got everything working for him. All of a sudden, they do this stupid zombie thing, and those guys tore his ACL doing something. Well, oh, crazy. Yeah, crazy. I mean, life is full of crazy ex experiences. So uh, I don't know if we can blame the zombies completely, but right. why not? I mean, shit, stuff happens, man. I'm, one of those I'm blaming the zombies. I can't believe mm -hmm. it. Right. Well, why not? They're, Miz, they're just as good as anybody to blame. And he never had an injury before. Well, a major injury before. So it's just funny. Like, that is the thing that does it to him. Well, <laughs> if. If anything was going to do it to him, uh, why not have it be with the zombies? I mean, it, it makes perfect sense to me. 
True. Yes. So he'll be, he's going to be out for a while. Yeah. And I don't know what direction they were kind of going with him anyway, but it's just weird to think that he's going to be out for a while. Never been out before in the last, what, 12, 13 years, whatever it's been that he's been there. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, but I, I, eventually you're going to feel it, and whether you get put out, whether you tear something or not, uh, you're going you're gonna to feel the bumps and bruises as you go along. I, that's something I never thought about. Until, until it forced me to think about it. So uh, I, I never tore my ACL, thank God. There was a time when I, I bruised my knee pretty good, and a doctor wanted to cut on it right away. And I thought, well, let me get a second opinion. And I did. And uh, this doctor said, all you really need to do is lay off it for a week, let it rest, and you'll be okay. And that's what I did. And lo and behold, without being cut on, without... Uh, Pardon me. Once you once you start getting cut, once you start going down that route, uh, you'll never be the same. So, but when you have an injury like the Miz, uh, you're you're really left with limited choices. And I think he'll he'll make the right. He's a smart guy. As far as some big time news that came out recently, and you were kind of asking me if anything happened in the last few hours, and big time stuff happened as AEW is now moving. To TBS from TNT. Technically, I believe there's 4,000 more homes or 400,000 more homes that would have TBS rather than TNT. So that could be looked at as positive. But man, TNT was always like the kind of the, the flashy one out of the both of them. It just seems like a little, possibly a bit of a downgrade for them. But uh, I don't know. They're spinning it like it's a good thing. Well, and, and as well, they should spin it like it's a good thing. If you have a company and, and you're making moves, um, you sure don't want to make it look like you're moving to anything less than what you already have so more power to them let's see what the hat let's see what happens uh i hear so much <laughs> and maybe rightfully so i don't know but, but so much negativity um about both shows and then everybody else who has a tv show out there so i i just all i can hope for is that there's a surge or there is a a wave of popularity on the horizon and i don't know if that's going to be the case but uh, at least they're going forward at least they're uh, they're not being taken off the air so that's a plus yes yeah now when that happens just in general let's say you move networks do you think that's a good thing or, or just a bad thing in general? It's like, oh, you got to move your TV network. Because obviously WB had to at one time when USA and then went to TNN. Do you think that's a struggle? Well, I think, once again, if people get in their habits of watching at a certain time, it could be uh, – it could take some time to get your audience over there if you don't plug it soon enough. But it sounds like they're starting now in May, uh, letting everyone know about the January – switch and of course you don't want to plug it too much in the front not enough in the back so I, I it could be it could take some time for everybody to find the new show and everybody to get back into it but then again they've got their audience right now and, and whether it's less than a million people whether going to uh, tbs is going to make the difference and, and make it a million and a half or two million people and uh you don't know until you try and they're obviously being forced to because hockey's going to be on TNT. So, uh, of course, in the initial phase, you're going to have people trying to look for your show if they've gotten used to doing it every Wednesday in one place and yep. it's not there anymore. 
So. Yeah, I guess I guess hockey night is traditionally now going to be on Wednesday, and that's what TNT bought. They bought that, and now Discovery is is with Warner Media, so the Discovery Plus app might add some AEW stuff to it. So I mean, I guess it could be turned to a positive. But man, when these media conglomerates start getting together, it's never good for wrestling, or it doesn't seem to turn out good for wrestling. Well. Wrestling has to start turning out good for wrestling again, and it has to get back on the uh, on the same wavelength that it was before, if that's even possible. Because uh, the attitude and uh, the culture has completely changed. I don't even see any remnants of the past coming back. So, wh- whether it's going to help or not, I think really depends on uh, the viewers and, of course, the the brain trust who comes with up with up who comes up with ideas, uh, it's going to be on their shoulders plus the talent, and you, you can have the greatest script in the world if you don't have the greatest uh, performers to follow through and great creative people. Then it's it's just going to be moves, and it's just going to be the same old story, and we'll have to wait and see. But I, I think we've been waiting to see. It's 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 going to be a weird time for everybody to regroup, especially when they. Uh, start running live events again and have uh, more people coming to the arenas. It's, it's just a, I think it's a weird time for a lot of sports, a lot of entertainment uh, outlets. Everything is kind of, uh, you know, just treading water right now. Like the NBA, their ratings are way down. MLB is uh, doing okay. NFL did okay, but at first it was really kind of struggling. So we'll, we'll see. I know technically they, they say wrestling is not a sport, but it kind of is. And it's kind of geared that way where you, you don't really want to watch it or it should be appointment viewing anyway. So I think that's uh, kind of the path that's going to go on and hopefully rebuild some ratings here. Yeah. And, and, it, well, it's not a traditional sport. You, you have guys uh, doing things athletically, and you have guys who look the part. Uh, and then you have some guys who don't look the part. So I, I, I really do think if you have the, the people who capture fans' imagination, you'll, you'll find them coming back. But what is it going to take? What is it going to be? Uh, I don't know. It's... Everybody's feeling that crunch right now, so we'll just have to wait and see. Now, as far as like WB and them doing some off the wall stuff, you know, the zombie stuff seems a little off the wall, but we had just been talking about your boy Kofi, and he just pinned in one night Randy Orton and Bobby Lashley. So there you go. You got to be happy about that. Maybe not happy about the zombies, but got to be happy about Kofi there. Of course. Yeah. I mean, and even then, we it, it's it's been that way for uh, forever with wrestling. So I mean, it's just updated. And I, I wasn't that upset about the zombies. Uh, if you can get upset about that, you might as well get upset about everything. And I'm just not going to. So uh, it was it was pretty much a commercial for Batista's movie, and we should come to accept that these days. And I do. Uh, but, but then you have other guys, too, who, who fulfill the need. And Kofi is one of them. And uh, I think Roman Reigns is another. Paul Heyman's another who fulfill the need. And Cesaro's another. So you have people who can do it. It's just a matter of uh, what do these people want to see. You know, again, when I, when I go fishing, I put worms on the hook. So I like strawberries, too. But just because I like them doesn't mean everybody's going to like them. So 
uh, I think it, the key is find what people are going to tune into and give it to them, whether it's AEW or WWE. It's going to be an interesting year, to say the least. And your girl, Natalia, just won the uh, tag team titles with Tamina. So yes. now they're the women's tag team champions. You're on a little bit of a roll here with your uh, your people. Well, they're on a roll, which I'm just glad I, I know them and have had some part, uh, uh, a little presence in their life here and there. So it can happen. And uh, I truly believe what's possible is done, what's impossible will be done. It's amazing what you can do with your attitude. And if you have a bad attitude, yeah, you may not be so amazed how bad things can happen, but if you have a positive and a, and a good attitude, uh, chances are you, you're going to find the good things. And it takes some people a little longer than others to, to figure that out. But Natalia's always been a, had a great attitude. She's always been a pro, uh, and so is Tamina. So both of those ladies have been working hard. Both of those ladies have been making strides uh in their career and in WWE, and that's what you have to do. You can't just rest on your laurels. You're only as good as your last match, and they know that. So the great thing about Natty is uh, she's learned how to stand up for herself, and she's not afraid to speak her mind, and that's what you have to do in this business. And it seems like TJ, TJ Wilson, is basically the agent for all the women's matches. It seems like putting a lot of things together, responsible. A lot of the girls always give him a lot of props. And they should because, uh, once again, TJ is a smart guy. He knows how to put matches together. He's uh, He's been around in his whole life as well. So it, it, that that's such a hard gig, the agent thing, if you don't really have a feel for it. And some people do, some people don't. It, it's it's a very stressful position to be in. But uh, you're like the coach, and uh, you have to have a vision. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But TJ knows what to do. He knows what the vision is in the ladies' division. And uh, he knows how to make it work. Were you ever an agent for WWE? Yes, I was miserable at it. Didn't it, it really is something that you have to have a feel for and an instinct for. Some people are excellent. Uh, some people aren't. I remember Ted DiBiase when he was an agent. He said, you know, it's just it, it was one of those things that you just either either you do or you don't. And Teddy didn't. And uh, he he reminded me that Vince told him. Has told Ted DiBiase that he re he reminded him of Ray Stevens in that Ted could go out and do his match, but he couldn't tell anybody else how to do their match. And you have to have that uh, uh, that foresight and that vision. And the same way, man, I had I, I, I was an agent for a few years, but your your basic duty is to sit down with everyone and figure out what they're doing and offer advice and offer suggestions. You can do that all day long, but uh, they have, the talent has to feel it too. And they have to have input as well. So I did it for a while. It was not my thing. Not very, not very good at it. And uh, so, and a lot of guys have tried it. Some uh, Jamie Noble's a, a fantastic agent, Adam Pierce, uh, Michael Hayes, you know, fantastic creative guys, but it does really take um, 
it, it takes talent. It really does. When you were in WB, who are some of the good agents back then? So, like when the, you were some of the good agents when you were wrestling in WB back yeah. then, like in the nineties. Well, the agents when I was wrestling was uh, Rolanza, Patterson, Briscoe, uh, Tony Gurria, Strongwell. Uh, I'm trying to think, George Steele. But Lanza, Lanza, and Tony Gurria. Yeah, Tony Gurria, Lanza, and uh, Pat. Uh, we're two top agents. Uh, Lanza would handle the, the towns on occasion, so would Korea, and so would uh, Rene Goulet at times. So, but but also back then it was pretty much Briscoe, uh, who was who was laying out a lot of our matches, or just doing us the, or we were giving him what we were going to do too. So, but once again, that that's a thankless job. You, you, if it works, it's it's his idea. And if it doesn't, it's your idea. So uh, that's showbiz. They always say Pat Patterson was the best. Like he, they'd call him in off the street, you know, and it'd be nice to to help put together matches and stuff. Well, Pat had that feel for it. Pat had been around, and I remember Pat told me one time uh, he he did not like the heavenly bodies. I knew that for a fact. But but we would talk, and sometimes in the bar, he just said. Uh, that he had the opportunity to see a lot of stuff throughout his career, and that was where he got the, the battle royal from, uh, you know, the Olympic in Los Angeles, and Roy Shires had the battle royal every year, and he brought that to WWE, and he had a lot of great ideas that he learned from Roy Shire, Eddie Graham, and all those old school guys. He, Pat Patterson was... Uh, in El Paso or in uh, West Texas, Amarillo, when I was growing up, and I'll never forget, uh, he would come on promos, and his line was, "Howdy, dare farmers," and he was sitting in a lawn chair in the in the TV studio with a, a drink with a, the umbrella in it, and uh, he was Lord Patrick Patterson, and he he just had something about him that you knew. This guy was a top guy. He he exuded that confidence, and uh, he would, that was early in his career. So as he traveled throughout, you know the 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 brain trust back then uh, in the '60s was was the Dory Funks, the Eddie Grams, and Bill Watts was just learning, and Dusty Rose was getting his feet wet too, and a lot of great creative minds came through, and you were given the opportunity to try things and uh and draw money and but but once again in, in the territory days it was a whole different field a whole different vibe you were running every week sometimes you had five weekly towns so you had to be creative to to get people to come back week after week and that's what patterson did he was uh, very creative and i talented beyond compare to he and ray stevens uh ruled the west coast uh, up in frisco and and then obviously he, he was a he was, he was a voice for vince for many many years and uh now i think michael hayes has that spot because michael is, is pretty much on the pat patterson level he knows he has a feel for it it's like asking a bird how he flies he just does and that's the same thing with the creative process you had how do you how do you get creative you just are you either are or you aren't and michael's uh, very creative and so is tj and so is adam and so is uh jamie jamie
Now, Shawn Michaels does a lot of that in, in NXT. Yeah. Did you by any chance see the Shawn Michaels documentary from uh, about a week ago or so on A&E? I have not. Uh, it's been a busy couple of weeks here at JPWA in Knoxville. So, no, I have not. But um, I'm sure it was wonderful. Did you catch any of those, like the Macho Man one or, or the Piper or Austin? Uh, um, I saw part of Austin's, and then I got taken away. Haven't seen Macho Man yet. Haven't seen uh, Piper. Uh, Piper. Haven't seen Piper's either. Damn, you got to catch up. Damn. Well, My- I, I, yeah, I just it's, it's been uh, we've we've had a full schedule here. In JPWA, for the uh, Macho Man one, prepare to be disappointed. It's it's a hit show. Well, I'd, I'd heard about that, but I don't know how they could uh, make it a hit job. But uh, obviously, if you're out for somebody, you're out for somebody. I guess. Oh, they and interviewed I, they interviewed the wrong people. Bubba the Love Sponge, Gorgeous no, George, yes. oh, awful. Yeah, and, and is Bubba even on still in Tampa? I have no clue. I didn't think okay. so. Okay. Well, I didn't know if they said it on the show or not, but I, I, I remember when Bubba the Love Sponge was broadcasting in, in Tampa, the morning show, and uh, I, I don't know if I don't know if those programs would still work today. The Zoo One Hundred or whatever, and you, you'd have your crazy, wacky morning guys, you know, Bubba and Billy and Bubba the Love Sponge and stuff like that. So. And, and no doubt, because, again, during that time period, uh, you have hangers on. And Tampa is – I love Tampa. I really did. I really do. But once I was there for a while and I would listen to the local flavors on on TV and radio and just uh, go in and about the city, the town. It's a big, small town, Tampa is. And – Everybody seems to know what's going on, but um, it had that wacky, crazy radio station feel to it. And I saw some really great concerts there, and uh, you know, it's it's a it's a beach town. It's a, it's a it's Tampa, so you have those kind of people around. I'm sure Randy uh, uh, couldn't help because <laughs> he couldn't help get mixed up with them. He he had a place uh, in St. Pete or Treasure Island, wherever it was. Uh, Dennis Knight showed me where, where he lived one time. Very nice. Uh, penthouse apartment, top floor. And, uh, but Randy was Randy. And Randy, I don't think, trusted people and didn't want to be around a whole lot of people all the time. And I can see, I, I can understand why. And then I heard about the hit piece. I heard that, that they did interview people like that and then heard that it wasn't... Uh, it wasn't very complimentary to Randy. Yes. And Bruce apparently uh, misspoke about uh, Macho Man's mother, apparently. What did he say? He was saying that she was uh, born in Germany around the time of Hitler, but she wasn't. I forget. His, um, Lanny Poffo said where she was born. It no. sounded great for the for the piece, but Lanny Poffo's like, it's not true. But, I mean, maybe uh, Bruce didn't even know, but it sounds good, so they kept it in. <laughs> Maybe, maybe so. I mean, yeah. You, uh, you know what? Yeah. Sometimes it sounds good, but it's just uh, just the wrong ingredient, I guess. Yes. 
like gorgeous Georgia, let her go on and on about how Macho Man was doing ecstasy and all this other stuff. It's like, what, what is this? Why is this on here? Like, what the Why, hell? So, yeah, I'm not sure on what I would, I would go with that. And they, but, but, yeah. and they interviewed her sister, but they didn't show her face. They put her behind like black and like changed her voice. It was so, like, it made no sense. No way they should interview gorgeous George. well gorgeous George maybe just for a little bit but she was very negative her sister made no sense her son made no sense we- weird weird stuff well <sighs> i know there's there there's a uh appetite for wanting to hear about the old guy older guys the the uh attitude and prior to that generation so i mean uh if you're gonna find the right people to do it it'd be great and I'd love to see the Piper one. I, I, I'd love to see them all, but I just haven't had yeah. time. So, yeah. But it, but you're gonna find those. And, and as somebody said earlier, uh, I was listening to something today where they said uh, we we don't want to we can't sell good news, so we have to put uh, all the bad news in because that's what people want to read and people want to hear. So when you have salacious content, sometimes that's what sells. It's horrible, yeah. and it's the shits, but that's life. Really but it's is. funny, like Piper and Savage, oh, these drugged-up nut jobs. But Austin, oh, no, he just he was just on a lot of caffeine. So the dead guys, they'll bury, but the guys that are alive, oh, he was just on a lot of caffeine. But Austin is basically insinuating, like, oh, yeah, I did a, a lot of coke. I drank a lot of, you know, but they're, like, insinuating, oh, he just he liked his caffeine. So it's well, just so funny you know, the way they say yeah. Yeah, it is funny the way they spin it, but the, and, and anybody from that time period or from that era knows that, that there was a lot of insanity going on on, on all sides. And um, without, in my opinion, without that insanity and without the um, all, all the chap, all the chapters in the book they had or all the chapters they had in life from from being opposition to Jarrett, to knocking Dundee out or hitting him with the blind siding, whatever the story is. Um, anybody who didn't participate in the insanity and was just around it um, and didn't get swirled in, getting, didn't get drawn up into that storm was lucky. And, but you still have some who were and aren't with us today. So it's easier to say, yeah, here's what we did. Here's what they did. And right, wrong, or indifferent, uh, those who know the truth know the truth. And for those who believe, no explanation is needed. For those who don't, no explanation will do. So people are going to say what they want to say. And I learned not too long ago to not really give a damn what everybody says and uh, you can have your opinion but if you if you haven't figured it out by now uh, the media will manipulate whatever they want to manipulate and if somebody wants to manipulate uh, a narrative if you will about Randy or Piper or whoever it may be um, that's what they're gonna do they can make it then color it whatever they want and if they're not here to, to uh, say anything about it then who will and I guess it was uh, said Lanny was uh, correcting Bruce or debunking a lot of the like debunking. what Gorgeous George said. He was correcting Bruce. He he was doing like a say like he was trying to save it. Hold on, but you it, want? Yep. Okay, because I lost you there. You trying to say what now? 
I was going to say Lanny was just trying to kind of save it. He was saying 5% of of the piece was garbage, but uh, he had did an article for it. I think it's pro wrestling stories.com. And he was just going over like each piece of the, of the uh, biography. Well, and, and, and as well he should. And um, so (laughs) that's, that's, he he should know that because his whole life was professional wrestling, which uh, would capitalize on sensationalism. And again, a salacious uh, story and content uh, is going to sell a lot more than saying he was a choir boy and uh, he, he never kicked a dog or drowned a cat in his life. How could you say that? So, Now, your favorite wrestler is going to be coming up on there. Favorite wrestler of all time is getting his own biography very soon. Who is that? The Ultimate Warrior. The Ultimate Warrior, of course. But you see... Uh, I, I actually met Warrior and Sting when they came to Tennessee. I was in that territory when they came in. And I do recall when Jerry Jarrett said, you guys might want to give it up. But he also called Bill Watts and sent him down there because you know, they looked great. But uh, as far as putting one foot in front of the other, they couldn't do it back then. And if you went to Louisiana and survived that, chances are you could survive the business. But the Ultimate Warriors, they have a great story because they're back in uh, good graces, I guess, aren't they? Yeah, his wife uh, is one of the writers. Yeah. Right, right. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. I, I don't know which one I'll see first, uh, which one I'll have the opportunity to actually sit down and listen. Because if, if I'm going to do it, I want to hear it. I want to sit down, watch it, listen to it. So uh, when I get the opportunity, I'm going to do that. I just don't know what's going to come up. So as far as today's topping and what we wanted to focus on today, possibly the greatest professional wrestler of all time you trained him, and that is the great colleague, WWE champion and WWE Hall of Famer. Of course. But in all seriousness, no, obviously, he's just a freak. I mean, seven foot two, whatever he was, 400 pounds, he's a monster of a man. I can't even imagine him in India with all like the smaller people <laughs> walking around, well, you know, like he, I mean, he would be obviously a giant here, but man, like what a freak of nature he is. And right. not, not like he's tall and skinny, like giant Gonzalez. He's tall and he's ripped to shreds. Is he ripped to shreds now? He was at one time. I don't, I don't know if he is now. No, because he's in his late forties. I doubt it. He didn't, yeah. he couldn't tell in the hall of fame because of the suit or whatever in, in the way they shot it. But, uh, man, when he was in his prime, I guess 12 yeah. years ago or so, man, he was ripped. Yeah, when he was in his prime, he was he was certainly a specimen. He looked the part. Uh, but I think the the word on the street about Kali was he did not always understand uh, the concept. I think later on he did. And when I first met him was in uh, – Madonna, Georgia, for Deep South. Um, nice guy. He had his wife, who was pretty much the interpreter for him, but nice enough guy. He um, was trying to use what he had, and and he, you, you can't teach someone to be seven. What was he? Seven three. Seven, seven two, foot. I think. But yeah, he. I think they would say seven two. Either if, I mean, you're seven foot seven one or whatever it was. I mean, you're pretty much a, a freaking monster. I guess officially seven one. Yeah, I don't think they wanted anybody to be over Andre's height. I don't think they were going to have to. Oh that. wow! You know what I mean? Andre was yep. built at seven four, so they made sure everybody else who came by. I'm sure it was 
a couple inches shorter, at least one inch shorter. How Andre, tall was so, Andre really? I think Andre was closer to six nine, or or at least closer to seven foot. If you if you look at a picture between Ernie Ladd and Andre, they're pretty much the same height, and they they had matches um, all over the country before before Andre before WWE went national or global too. So Ernie Ladd was a big man. Ernie Ladd was close to six nine, close to seven foot, and I think. You know, Andre just was was bigger, per se, mm-hmm. but he had the had giantism as well, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. So, yeah, but I, I I don't know that he was seven four. I've heard that debate that he wasn't. But then again, oh, let's, I don't want to do like uh, uh, the biography people. I don't I don't know for <laughs> a fact. So. Yeah, he was definitely not seven four. I don't think. Yeah. Right. Right. So, but but anything in wrestling can be exaggerated and should be. True, true. So when you first meet Kali in Deep South, I guess you're probably familiar with him from New Japan, or, or are you familiar with him at all? I was. I was familiar with him. Uh, I had heard about him from California. And, uh, yeah, he trained with Roman Alexander, I think. Is that it? ASW. Uh, was, that- was it ASW or APW out there in uh, San Francisco? See one of them. I'm not sure. I, I I don't know, but I do recall him and Giant Silver teaming in Japan as well. And I had yes. a hand in uh, had a hand in directing Giant Silver. So you had two of these guys. Didn't speak the greatest English in the world. Um, not really familiar with loosening up. Uh, they they in the beginning. I don't think either one got the concept, and possibly. They learned as they went along, uh, and I don't know what happened to Silva. He he might have gone back to New Jersey and just said to hell with this. A lot of people do, but um, I was familiar with Kali from California, and then knowing knowing that he had been in Japan with Silva, it was uh, it was brought to my attention that he needed to learn how to work. And we did everything we could, and he did everything he could, and you saw the results. Yeah. With, yeah. it was APWA, it was Roland Alexander out there. So is that one of those things where it's like, okay, Vince sees this guy, and he's like, oh, this is my type of guy. You know, the typical Vince guy, this guy is huge, he's muscular, he just is a complete freak show, I love this guy. Yeah, I don't know if it was Vince, uh, but there was someone out there and and brought to our attention. And I think the first time he's brought to our attention, uh, I don't know what was going on, but I don't know if they were that interested. Uh, but anytime you have a guy like that, they're always interested at some point. It, it may not be at the point uh, right away, but eventually, if they hang around long enough, they'll be new. And they will be unseen. And you have, if you have a huge giant that, that, that is brand new and hasn't been seen on the uh, on the big stage, either any time ever or in a while, then you can make it new. And that's what they did with Kali. And, and once again, once I was around him and I saw his attitude, his demeanor, not a bad guy at all, uh, but being that tall, I don't know how his knees were. He kind of looked like he was—he he could have a hard time uh, 
walking sometimes and I'm not sure why I don't I don't know the extent of how he was feeling if he had been you know taking a lot of bumps in Japan which I highly doubt or taking any bumps anywhere but um, overall uh, he could be hard to communicate with at times but at the same time he was a nice guy he really was with him it's interesting that you know he comes in basically from New Japan. I think technically at one time he actually was signed to WCW. I mean, obviously before they closed down, I think that they had their eye on him and he was going to be signed there. I just don't remember ever seeing him because I remember you saw Sam Greco and Bob Sapp on WCW TV saying they got signed. And Bob Sapp is one of those Japan freak show guys right. that they absolutely love and they fall in love with. So I could see WCW and then I could see Vince also having extreme interest in a guy like Kelly. But to me, it's like, man, like, how do you train this guy if, first of all, he doesn't understand the in the, the language? Second of all, he doesn't look like a guy that's going to be very athletic. And third, he's not going to be a bumper, right? I mean, he's not going to bump at all, right? Well, there you do have to teach the big guys how to bump because there will come a time and you need to know how to bump because you'll face somebody about your size or close to your size or capable enough to give you a bump. So... Uh, Kali with me was very cooperative, and when I asked him to take bumps, which wasn't very often, he would. And I want to see the uh, back bump. I want to see uh, if he could roll. I just want to see how he was moving in the ring. And you don't need to bump or move a guy his size around the ring the same way you would move everybody else. So. Do you adapt to him? Yeah, you really do. If you know that he, he is a special performer, special athlete, and you do your uh, training towards him, you do make sure that he gets uh, everything he needs to get. You're not going to train him the same way you would if somebody 6'1 or 6'2, 230 pounds. This guy was a monster. This guy was a giant. So. Teach him how to wrestle and slash work like a giant, not like everybody else. He's unique. He's special. And uh, one of the things I didn't have him do was was jog five miles this way and then jog five miles back. It made no sense to me. And uh, so I think he appreciated that, too. We concentrated on wrestling when we were there in Deep South. And, and we'll get in shape. And what we did in the ring was getting people in shape for ring for uh, ring time and wrestling. But um, uh, the other thing was just making sure they understood what they were going to do in the match, how the match was going to be laid out, and to uh, have an understanding on how a match works. And uh, I don't know if he was getting that in the beginning. But I know that's what we went over when I was there. With uh, Kali, you said, and you said in the previous previous episodes as well he was one of the only guys you actually decided to train differently than the others is that strictly just because he was so big or was the english a part of that too no uh i think it was just a combination of i knew who was down there when i went down and this is when i i i was just coming back to wwe and i knew who was down there i got uh a, rep a report and also a 
uh, what's the word, a briefing, if you will, of who was down there and who they saw coming up to the roster, who they had their eye on. And obviously, Kali was one of them. And previously, he had been uh, a slow learner, if you will. But what he was being taught, there was there was nowhere to apply it, and there was no um, lane to apply it in. In other words, just because you can push a truck around uh, the building and run five miles up and then run five miles back, it, I, I, that doesn't translate into how to tell a story in the ring. So instead of doing those moves and those exercises, we concentrated on what he would do as a big man uh, against smaller opponents. What would he do as a big man? We had, another, we had a couple big guys here too who would work and get someone closer to his size. And those were the those were the things, yeah, that I concentrated on. Later on, when I found out, when I knew, you know, we had special guys come in that needed to know how to move like a bigger guy. Of course, we keyed in on that, and that was uh, that was pretty much how I approached it. Not only in the Deep South, but FCW and any place I really went. I, I usually had an idea who. Uh, they were looking at who they wanted to know and see how far you could push them, how far you could, what, what, what could you get out of everybody there? And everybody's different. So it's, it's a, uh, that was a fun part about it. It's still the fun part about it. Uh, seeing, giving people an opportunity and seeing what they do with it or, or giving them uh, a scenario and seeing what they do with it. And Kali, when we would give him a scenario, here's what you're going to do in the ring. Uh, kind of like Brock Lesnar. You can't just go out there and chop meat for eight minutes. You have to know how to do, do something in between those moves. You can't just go out there and kick, punch, kick, punch, because after you do that for two minutes, if you're seven foot tall, 300 pounds, and you're kicking and punching the guy and you're not beating him, it doesn't say a whole lot about you. And that, that was psychology, and that was the, the point that we brought to Kali and explained to him why we're doing it this way. Slow down, take a step back instead of five steps back, and just the little things like that. And I think you appreciate it, too. So when he gets called up, do they tell you, like, oh, we have big plans for this guy, we're going to do big things with him, or they don't even give you a heads up? Mm -mm. I mean, they, they want to see what he can do, but I don't think anybody is. Uh, I mean, they, they may have thought, but nobody said, "Hey, we got big plans for this guy." I just think they they were under the impression because he's seven four or seven foot tall uh, that they would want to have big plans for him. But it's actually up to the talent. It's actually up to him if he can fulfill or follow through with those plans. So uh, there have been a lot of guys who have had big plans. They've had big plans for him, just fall flat on their face. So. Uh, nobody said we have a specific angle in mind for the great colleague. They just wanted him to get on the roster, and he was an attraction, and let's see what we can do with this big guy. When he does kind of come up, his first real feud on SmackDown is with The Undertaker. So that's one of those things where it's like, wow, the, you know, the top dog or one of the top dogs at the time 
you immediately start feuding with him, and it's not even feuding with him. He was beating him. He beat him at the Judgment Day pay per view. Remember when he they first had that altercation? He chopped him in the head and knocked him out. <laughs> it was one of those right. things where it's like, wow, this guy's getting a, a big push. Well, yeah, and, and once again, I, I think Taker was probably looking at uh, Kali uh, at one time as this guy could be great, uh, make make a lot of money with the guy because. You know, one thing I heard a long, long time ago uh, from George Foreman, and, and it was it was from a, a guy, uh, it was a junior or welterweight, whatever it was, and Foreman said, yeah, well, there's no money in, in the lighter weights. The money's in the heavyweight division. So you always want to see those larger-than-life guys, and, and who would be larger-than-life uh, and better to work with Kali than The Undertaker? And, and they're both huge. And just think of uh, of the heat they could get. So, and once again, even back then, WWE was always cognizant about uh, the global uh, implication and wanted people from different countries and wanted to have these uh, oddities, if you will, and, and exceptional human beings. And because that's what WWE is. They're not, we're not, they're not. A lot of dogs and cats, they're lions, tigers, and bears. You can see dogs and cats every day, but at WWE, that's where you saw the uh, larger than life performers. And Kali was that guy, and I think Undertaker, especially at that time, wanted an opponent that he could uh, uh, go in the ring with and have some kind of uh, a chance to be beat and 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 show some. Uh, uh, show show being in peril, show being in in some kind of a crisis mode where where it's possible Kali could beat him, and he did. So, yeah, I, I think you, you don't want that guy to be in a, in a uh, preliminary. He's he's made for the main events. I mean, uh, you you don't want a seven foot guy to just come in and be wasted. And that was the, I think that was certainly the mindset back then. And if Undertaker jobs to you, I mean that kind of puts the stamp on you right away. Yeah, yeah. Show that you can be in jeopardy. Show that there, there's a there's a vulnerability there, and that makes uh, perfect business sense. And I think the Undertaker, especially of all guys, understood uh, if, if there is no jeopardy and there's no chance of you getting beat, then nobody cares. And that unpredictability, I think, was uh, alive and well back then, more so than it is today, obviously. But with with those two big guys going in the ring. Uh, why not show everyone that, that, that the Undertaker could get beat? But he's not just getting beat by anybody. He's getting beat by a daggum seven-foot-tall Punjab killer. So it makes sense at the time. And do you think, it like, with that, it's also, too, he's Indian. Is that part of, like, it maybe the global expansion to India or trying to get TV in India? I mean, you never know what's kind of going on behind the scenes, right? Well, certainly, but you once you understood the uh, culture and the and, and the concept of WWE, they they're always looking to to expand, always looking for the next step, and always looking to do something better. And uh, did they win the lottery every single time? No, of course not. Some guys came in and didn't get it. Other guys came in. You know, let's let's look at Kane, a big fella who came in and. Uh, you know, they tried a couple different gimmicks, and all of a sudden they found the gimmick that was, was gold. 
and he found him. And it's the same thing with Kali. I don't know that he was ever the most coordinated guy in the ring, but he had a presence. He did have a presence. He wasn't uh, your average bear. He was different. And uh, WWE and, and events, everybody had been looking for a long time, hell, back in the 80s and even before then, they were looking to do global expansion and global uh, takeover, and they did. So, yeah, it, it's, it was one of those things. Kali from India, uh, we had uh, uh, Taka, Taka Michinoku, uh, uh, Tajiri, the Japanese invasion, and you had other people from, from all walks of life, all uh, different parts of the world that were drawn to larger than life people and then you had somebody homegrown uh, that you could root for you know I got I, I've got a kid right now in our class he's from Puerto Rico and bad bunny came from his town in Puerto Rico and he said cut a promo that if bad bunny can do it I can do it he came from my my, my same city right there so wow. people you know yeah people who who watch wrestling want somebody they can relate to and want somebody they can root for from their either their hometown from their own country you know, wherever it may be and Kali had that uh, he he did have a following India was crazy uh, it's, it's it's a it's a unique well it's not unique to them but it was, it was a unique country uh, I went over there whenever body donna's were working and we went over and uh it was it was a site it was it was a culture shock and uh so it, it, the reason the reason i say that is because it's what probably the most populated country in the world and one of them has, has yeah. a lot of people why not go for that market why not offer uh, a homegrown hero you know had you brought the bollywood boys in uh jinder mahal world champion but that that just makes sense and uh why not give them if you have a seven foot giant from india give it to him uh you can teach him the basics and fundamentals and give him four moves and that's all he really has to do as long as he understands how to tell a story and, and that, that can all happen with uh everybody's cooperation all hands on deck he actually does end up winning the title, the w, well, really the World Heavyweight Championship on SmackDown. He won a Battle Royal. So it's funny. It's like, wow, it makes sense. Who the hell would be really eliminating him from a Battle Royal for the title? He becomes champion that way. I'm sure nobody really saw him as a world champion, but if you just look at him, he's a massive man, so he could be viably a world champion. Well, yeah, and, and I think, once again, when you say nobody saw him as a world champion, obviously somebody saw him. Well, somebody did, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, and and that's that's one of the, the great things I've come to learn and see through the years. Some people you look at and say, oh, there's no way. And then, all of a sudden, they're given the opportunity and do with it what they may. But guys like Kofi, Guys like Jinder Mahal, uh, guys like Drew McIntyre, who are given the opportunity and aren't seen as champions because right. they've never never been champions, but then all of a sudden they they win the title and become champions. Then uh, you you've got to got to 
step Believe. back and say, wait, wait a minute. You know, we didn't we didn't see it, but uh, we didn't see it because we weren't creative enough or we just didn't uh, believe it enough. And these guys have shocked and followed through uh, with their opportunity. Drew McIntyre, especially, and Jinder Mahal as well, uh, are guys who uh, were given a chance early on and didn't make the most of it, didn't make much of it. And then they had this to step back. And Drew walked all the way back down the ladder. He might have been knocked down. Went back home, uh, made a reputation again, came back, and he, it's a different attitude this time. It's a different vibe. It's a different walk. So with Kali, uh, you knew you had this window with him, and you needed to make the most of it. And uh, Taker was willing to help him get over because, again, if he gets over, there's somebody else for Taker to work with. And he's, it was always a constant uh, look around for new talent, bigger guys, uh, great performers. And that next spark, that next star that was going to take you to the, uh, to the stratosphere and, and the company could ride it. Uh, so, you know, Kali was, was in line and Kali got the chance. So he made the most of it. With him and his legacy, I know obviously they kind of, a little bit after winning the world title, they make him like the Punjabi playboy. He shows he could do a little entertainment, a little dancing, a little fooling around. Uh, he had that thing with Beth, Beth Phoenix where like they were in love or whatever the hell was going on with them. What do you think of like just his legacy? Because obviously becomes a Hall of Famer, and that kind of puts you in another echelon to a lot of people. So what do you think about kind of the, the legacy of the great Cully? Maybe a short stint, if you think about it, in, in the grand scheme of things, but world champion and a Hall of Famer. Yeah, you, you world champion and a Hall of Famer. So that speaks for itself. That speaks for his legacy. Uh, it speaks for his career. It speaks for everything he's done. He was a world champion. And he's a Hall of Fame WWE superstar. So I, I think it's a great legacy to have. I really do believe that uh, he, he opened a school in India. And uh, Ricardo Rodriguez went over and helped teach those guys. That's another guy, Ricardo Rodriguez, uh, who's an unsung hero. He is a talented guy. And, and just a little I've seen of him. He, he has the capability to be a great coach. And Kali wanted him over to train his guys. And I think he spent six months, could have been longer, could have been shorter, that he did. He went over for Kali, and they had guys. I mean, India is, a, is, is an interesting country, to say the least. And uh, it, it really is, if, especially for us over here in the States, going over and seeing – this, the conditions people live every day is mind-boggling for us because we don't know what that life is like. But Kali wanted to make it better for people over there and wanted to give people an opportunity, and he did. And I know he's done great work over there with charities and uh, uh, helping communities around India as well. So I think that's probably going to have a big impact on his legacy 
helping the, the local people, helping his countrymen, helping India become a uh, known force in wrestling as well. So I think he did pretty good for himself, very good for himself. With Undertaker, you know, helping put him over, does that mean that creative talked Undertaker into it or the other way around? He liked the guy or is it a little, maybe a mixture of both? I, it probably was a mixture of both because I think Taker, uh, well, I know Taker and everybody's always looking for, for the next opponent to draw money with. And Kali was certainly money. He looked the part. He was a monster. Sweetheart of a guy. To me, I never had any problem. But Taker and uh, Creative were always looking, no doubt. And I think they're still looking for that that magic uh, matchup between these two big guys and to go out there and, and perform a hell of a match and have uh, a great story with it. So w without Taker being on board, that never would have happened. But I think uh, Creative also was salivating at the chance to have these two big guys meet and write some great stories for them. And that's what happened. And have that chop, right? Chop right Of course, there. that is the best chop in the world. Walker McDaniel <laughs> or Greg Valentine or Ric Flair couldn't beat it. Or Giant Baba, maybe. I've taken Baba's chop. Really? Think, uh, yes. Damn right. I, still, I have brain damage from it. Maybe oh, damn. Maybe, yeah, I have brain damage from Baba's chop. That's what I brought down. You think he had one because he had a good arm, Baba? <laughs> Baba, he, well, you know, he was a pitcher. Yeah. Know, I yeah. think it was Tokyo Giants. But I worked with him. I, uh, we had two matches in Japan, uh, obviously tags. And that's another cool thing about the business, getting to work with a legend like Baba or Anoki. And this was before they were way over the hill. And you feel that giant chop come from Baba, and you go, perfect. And Kali, was, uh, Kali got to that point, too. I mean... I'm sure he was stiff when he started out. I'm sure a lot of people didn't like working with him. But at the end of the day, uh, it is about great matchups. It is about performing. It is about going out there and telling stories. And I think at the end of the day, especially at the end of his career, Kali understood that, and he wasn't, wasn't so bad for a lot of people. Maybe the matches weren't the greatest, but what – the boys and what everybody else when you step in the ring are concerned about is not getting hurt and having a great match. And the first part is the most important, in my opinion, not to get hurt. Don't hurt yourself. Don't hurt your opponent. And I think Kali got that, especially after a while. And uh, he had people who were willing to help him. So, When, uh, just complete sidebar here, but when uh, Giant Baba beat Harley Race for the NWA title. Is that a thing between him and Race? He gives him an extra ten grand or something, or is that actually planned by the NWA? Oh, I think that was just Harley. I, okay. I think that was Harley and Baba. I, I, I truly believe, and as I, uh, <laughs> as I, as I lived through the years and and uh, was around some of the greatest workers uh, in the business and just listening to the stories. And I bring up Dusty Rhodes as one of them because those guys were, were special for a reason. And they knew they had a feel for it. It's instinct. And they could take a guy like a Kali or a giant Silva 
whoever it may be, and not as they, they would understand the limitations. They would work towards their strengths. And that was what you do. That's what you did. You don't bury the guy because he doesn't know how to work. No, you help him out and, and you make the best of the situation. You make the best of the match. You, you're working. It's, it's, it's a gig. It's not, uh, you're not going to, it's not, it's not the Olympics by any stretch of the imagination. There is some skill. There's a lot of skill you have to have, but, uh, after just listening to the, the stories, not only from Dusty Rose, but I got to listen to Harley tell some great stories. Some uh, uh, more than a couple times, we would go and do camps at a, at, uh, at a school, and I think uh, Harley Race and a lot of those guys back then cut their own deals, and nobody knew. You know, Harley was would do the deal like, "Oh, I, I hit my head and I knocked myself out. I couldn't kick out." Right. You know. So I mean. They, Everybody had a, a story, and I, I don't know this to be true, but I know you know, or maybe you don't. Do you, you know the story about Dory Funk Jr. wrecking his truck on his ranch the week before, or the couple days Because he didn't want a job to Harley was the... the well, no, no, not Harley, it was Jack. Oh, Jack Briscoe. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, now, now hold on here. That was accusation. Nobody's ever said that. At least I haven't said that he didn't want to do any jobs to Harley or to get Jack. Other people have, but I haven't. So, but, but there's a lot of things that, that happen through the business that a lot of people go, hmm, and Brian Pillman, Dark Side of the Ring, I did see that part. Uh, that, that's a perfect example of what, you know, Brian, I don't want to go off on a tangent, but Brian studied the greats and Brian knew the greats and Brian was a student of the game. And that's what a lot of those guys did from Buddy Rogers, even on down Strangler Lewis, Tootsmont. And Sandow, those guys, uh, <laughs> those guys created what the business was and continues to be, um, and and that that was the I think the mantra for so long, and uh, guys like Baba, guys like Anoki, guys like Harley, Jack, Dory, Terry, all those guys, Funk, Briscoes. Uh, flare, steamboats. That was how business was done. It sure changed a hell of a lot, and uh, you can decide for yourself if it's for the better or worse. True. Now, as we hit the wind down and the finish here, let's go to the plugs. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Two Man Power Trip. Check out the website tmptempire.com. Of course, follow Dr. Tom on Twitter at Dr. Tom Pritchard. And of course, let's talk about the book, a pro wrestling curriculum, advice, suggestions, and stories to help the aspiring pro get to the next level. Dr. Tom, where can they get this awesome book? You can get that awesome book at jpwrestlingacademy.com. Also on the front page, along with a place you can just click on and order my curriculum. Uh, you can find out our next dates for JPWA and all the goings on and uh, keep up to date with us and see what's happening and, and go from there again. JPWrestlingAcademy.com We are coming up pretty soon on our summer session, which I believe starts July 5th. You'd have to check the website just to be double, double sure. But, um, yeah, everything's on the front page, ready to click. 
Nice. And of course, go to ProWrestlingTees.com. Check out the Dr. Tom store or the JPWA store and buy a shirt there. Dr. Tom, what else you got coming up? Uh, you know what? We're, we're, like I said, seventh week of JPWA uh, out of a 12-week class or 12-week session. Uh, we've got some seminars coming up. Uh, don't have those in front of me, but I know I'm going to New England. I'm going to uh, Mississippi and uh, little places in between. Looking forward to that, too. So we can talk about that next week, I think. Nice. Sounds good. Cool. And, of course, I'd like to thank everybody for tuning in this week. We'll see you right back here next week for Take You to School with Dr. Tom Pritchard. See you next week, folks. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the two-man power trip of wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at two-man power trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash tmptempire to become a patron and also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two-man power trip where the power lies, brother.